Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. In higher education, college communities are familiar with the phrase town gown. Most often, this phrase is used to signify divides between the cultures of higher education and the communities within which those institutions reside. But what happens when an appreciative approach is taken and the community and college or university becomes mutually reinforcing assets? In today's program, we will discuss how place-based education can not only enhance the learning experiences for students, but can also integrate students and empower them within their communities in ways that have meaningful impact. My guest for this episode is Dr. Jeffrey Partridge, who is director of the Hartford Heritage Project at Capital Community College in Hartford, Connecticut. The Heritage Project develops courses and curriculum that capitalizes on Hartford's rich cultural heritage and community to enhance the learning opportunities for students, while at the same time increasing students' understanding of the city. In addition to directing the Heritage Project, Dr. Partridge is a professor of English and chair of the Department of Humanities. He is joining us today from the studios of WNPR in Hartford, a fellow NPR station. Dr. Partridge, welcome to Teaching Matters. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to be on your program. So I initially contacted you because I read an article that you wrote for Getting Smart, which is an online blog community focused on innovations in education. I was really struck with the examples that you provided in the article of place-based education. Can you talk a little bit about what place-based pedagogy is and sort of what it means uh, for listeners that may be kind of feel like they know what that term means, but maybe have not read the literature in ways that you have. Sure. Uh, place-based education is, is basically uh, taking opportunities to use the place where your, your college or school is situated uh, to teach your courses, to, to extend uh, your curriculum into real-world uh, experiences and opportunities around you. Um, it's basically integrating uh, place, the place around you or community resources into your curriculum. And that could be uh, theaters, it could be museums, it could be a park, it could be a recycling center, a factory, it could be a river, um, a community organization. There, Really, it's just a matter of finding what is around you and thinking of creative ways of making that a part of your course. So I thought it was um, very interesting in the article that if you think about an umbrella of pedagogy that you might generally call active learning, uh, and within that could be place-based education, but also other things like service learning and internships, you actually distinguish what you refer to as place-based education from some of those other active learning um, uh, approaches. Can you, can you talk about how what you describe as place-based education might be different from a community-based internship program or a service learning initiative? Yes. Well, first of all, they are all related. They are using the place around the college, whether it's an internship, service learning, or a course that's using uh, some facet of the community. Um, so they are all related. But one of the distinctions that I like to make is that internships uh, are, are individual students going and, and working in uh, an organization. Service learning uh, tends to be, if, if you're going to do that as an entire class, there, there's a lot of prep work and a lot of work in terms of, of making that not only something that's, that's um, uh, beneficial to the students, but also beneficial to 
the the organization that you are providing a service for. It's highly intensive. It's uh, and it's wonderful. Uh, the the difficulty is that it's hard for somebody to teach a number of courses that way all at once, and mm-hmm. and so it tends to just reach uh, uh, it, it 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 reaches a certain number of students um, with a fantastic experience. Uh, what place-based education does or pedagogy does is it, it takes any course and, and um, supplements it with, with the community around uh, the college. So in that way, um, I, I mean, and I'll sh- later I'll share some of the, the success that we've had and the sort of the numbers that, that, that we're seeing at my college. But basically, uh, if, if this is done in a broad way and a lot of faculty buy into it and are teaching their courses in this way, then a, uh, your entire student population of the college is likely at some point to have uh, um, some form of community engagement in, in their courses. And that could be a, an internship. It could be a service learning course. But it could just be any course that they take where the faculty member has, has uh, used, uh, has, has implemented or integrated community resources into the curriculum. I really appreciate the way you uh, you talked about those because obviously um, all of those different strategies are mutually reinforcing to a large degree mm-hmm. that once a faculty member builds a relationship perhaps through a place-based assignment or activity um, that could build into something larger, whether it be a very extended service learning project or an internship program, they're mutually reinforcing, but really all fundamentally built upon relationships between the faculty and the community. Is that is that a fair way of describing it? Absolutely, because uh, as as you're building uh, community resources into your your curriculum, you you have to be networking with people in the community, and as that builds, you can you can you can that uh, that relationship will increase. Uh, you'll have uh, find opportunities to to teach service learning type courses possibly, uh, or just increase the amount of, of exposure that students are getting in your courses to the community around them. So I think that the answer to this is um, somewhat self-obvious based upon what you've already said, but but I want to ask it nonetheless just to make sure um, listeners um, understand this. In your opinion, because you've, you've obviously read a great deal about place-based education and thought about it in your own program in a very deep way, do, do you think that place-based education approaches or pedagogy is more applicable in some communities and universities or colleges than others? Or do you think this is something that is sort of universally applicable as, as we as higher education um, institutions look for ways to establish those connections? I would say it's definitely universally applicable. Um, the, the, whether you're in a rural uh, area or you're in an urban area or somewhere in between, um, there, it, it's just a matter of finding what's around you. And most college campuses have a handful of, of, of faculty who do this kind of thing. Uh, they tend to do it on their own. And what mm-hmm. we're what we've developed and what I'm advocating for is that colleges take a more um, take a more proactive uh, approach to this 
and and provide and to create opportunities for more and more faculty to do this kind of thing. Uh, place-based education began really in environmental studies and, and mm-hmm. outdoor education move uh, the, the outdoor education movement. Um, it had much to do with with science and uh, and rural areas. Uh, what what a lot of us are doing who are in this, uh, who who have colleges in in urban areas, is finding w- other hands-on ways of of teaching. Uh, using, uh, in our case, the humanities is a, is a big part of what, what mm-hmm. we do with museums and theater and so forth. So it's, it's really a matter of faculty exposing themselves to the, the resources around them, getting to know them, getting to know people there, um, and, and then just thinking about their own course and what their course objectives are and what it is they want students to, to learn from their course and then deciding, okay, how can I take what what I've got around me, um, and 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 incorporate it into the course to enhance the learning for students. That's actually a really good segue then to talking about the Heritage Project at Capital Community College that you direct. Uh, can you provide sort of the narrative of how it evolved? Um, you know what what was the precipitating event or events that led to the creation of the Heritage Project as being a, a unit or an entity unto itself? And and how, how have you built into that the philosophy of place-based education relative to objectives that you might have for the program um, for students who, who take courses that have this embedded? Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually exposed to place-based education from early childhood. I grew up in, I mentioned outdoor education before, I grew up in an outdoor education camp where my father was the director of, mm-hmm. of uh, a school up in um, the Angeles National Forest in Southern California. Um, and But I, I didn't connect the dots uh, to, to this until I was, I was a good way into the Hartford Heritage Project. Um, so it was probably something that was latent there. Um, in around, I, I started teaching at Capital Community College in 2005. Um, I was I was new to Hartford, um, didn't know anything about it. Um, I knew that uh, you know Mark Twain's house was there, and I knew Harriet Beecher Stowe's house was there, and they had a good art museum and some good theater, and uh, that's about all I knew about Hartford. Um, but in 2009, and, and I'd really like to give the National Endowment for the Humanities a lot of credit for, for what has happened at our college with the Hartford Heritage Project. Um, the first thing that happened was I applied for a, a summer um, seminar uh, th- that is run by the NEH. Um, that was, I was at the time I was teaching a course, a liberal arts capstone course on immigration. And um, so I, I, I went to this week-long course in Cleveland, Ohio, where I, we, were, we were learning about uh, migration and immigration to Cleveland uh, with expert speakers coming in, reading books and articles, and, and then each day going out and seeing communities, going to the Lithuanian uh, hall, going to you know, the, the Russian uh, church, going to uh, Orthodox church, going to um, a variety of places, uh, neighborhoods that have changed over time uh, and, and have become more Latino and so forth. And I was really struck that this was an, an incredible learning experience, not just learning about this stuff by reading and through lectures, but actually going out and seeing it. And I thought, you know, Cleveland 
I didn't know it would be this interesting. And it's incredibly interesting. And I'll bet the city that, that attracted Mark Twain and, and Harriet Beecher Stowe, uh, where Wallace Stevens uh, lived uh, and worked, um, and that must be equally interesting, if not more so. <laughs> so I just decided that, that um, you know, I would take this to my department. I was just becoming department chair then. And we talked about it, and we, we really discovered that it, we all had this this kind of vision together that that we could do much more with the humanities uh, um, the humanities resources around us. So um, we wrote a mission statement. We 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 got excited about it, and then I, uh, our 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 grants person. Our uh, development director sent me an email about um, a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities that, uh, and I, immediately I thought, this is it. This is what we should do. So I created uh, basically a, a program that was um, similar to what we did in Cleveland, but it was 17 full-day seminars over two years. We got the grant, and I have to give a lot of credit to my, to my colleagues uh, to my college, my administration, because everybody got behind it, everybody got excited about it, and my faculty bought into it. They wanted to um, to be involved in this, and and there were people in our group as we went through this program, um, where we would have seminars at the Har- at, at the Mark Twain House or at the Old State House at the Hartford History Center, um, and and all of these places. We, we were learning so much. We had expert speakers come in. We read about it, and we went out and saw it in basically that same, that same format. Um, and we had people in our group who, who grew up here or who have lived here a long time who were saying, I'm, I'm looking at Hartford with new eyes. Hmm. I, I, I didn't know all of this. And they, they got excited about using this stuff in their courses. And that has spread in our college since then. The, the grant that we got from the NEH was was uh, a two-year grant that, that paid for all of those uh, workshops. And then we were awarded a second grant to, to raise money for an endowment to run the program. Um, so that's what we've been working on uh, since then. Hmm. It's, a, it's an interesting connection from your early childhood experiences to now you directing a program that hmm. has a similar philosophy. I think that's fascinating. So in terms of how the Heritage Project functions within the capital curriculum, are these courses courses that students would just naturally be taking um, as they go through their programs of study and, and obtaining their degree or, or other credentials? Um, or are these unique courses that are you know, sort of in a separate track? I mean, how does it, how does it function with respect to um, the curricular experiences for students and their programs? Uh, it's almost entirely uh, within adopted within existing courses. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of a faculty member uh, looking at the at the course that they teach, and and adopting this pedagogy that's that's um, going to um, take students out into the community. And and for some of them, for some courses, you know, it, uh, the faculty might might have one event. That they do, mm-hmm. uh, and they tie it into their curriculum, um, f- and usually that's how it starts out. And, and faculty who really start to see how engaged students get, and how excited they get, and how uh, relationships form, and and uh, the 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 curriculum kind of comes alive for the students by doing this. 
uh, they start adding more and more. And so a, a course that it, it, that may have started out with maybe even just a, an extra credit project that, that had to do with the city now might have you know, required project work that, that mm -hmm. and, and field trips and that kind of thing. We do have a course that, uh, that I run uh, that, that was developed specifically as a place-based course. Um, it's a course on Mark Twain and Harriet Beecher Stowe, which we teach entirely at those house museums. Mm -hmm. So the students don't come to the college at all. We meet at the, at the uh, Twain House and the Stowe, Stowe House mm -hmm. and have our classes there. So there are, uh, you know, sometimes ideas that come up and that are developed specifically uh, as a new course uh, that would do this this uh, place-based pedagogy. In terms of uh, disciplinary engagement, how how broad? Uh, give me a sense of the range of types of yeah. courses where a student might experience this. To me, that's that's one of the most exciting things about what has happened at our college. Uh, it's it's something that started from the National Endowment for the Humanities in the Humanities Department, but there are faculty in just about every discipline who have taken hold of this and said, oh, I could do this, you know, I could do that. Uh, some great examples are, uh, are we have the, the largest nursing program in the state, mm -hmm. and so, you know, every, every year now, we have a, uh, 120 uh, nursing students going to the Wadsworth Athenaeum Art Museum to study, to, to look at the art and to, to discuss it and to, to, to critically observe the art and make relationships between that process uh, and what they need to do with, with, with patients. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, nursing students, first-year nursing students going to a, um, a, a house museum that's near our campus. It's walking distance from our campus, the Isham Terry House. And Connecticut Landmarks has developed a program for us where the students learn about the history of medicine or some aspects of the history of medicine by visiting a, a, a home doctor's office because Dr. Isham, in the uh, turn of the 19th century, he would work from his home. Uh, and mm -hmm. and uh, so these are these are great opportunities. We've had uh, uh, human biology, uh, mathematics. We've had uh, uh, quite a number of of uh, disciplines that you wouldn't think of uh, taking advantage of these types of things. Actually, going out and doing that. So. Uh I, I appreciated um, the part of your narrative where you talked about your the faculty getting excited about it, and, and obviously the examples that you just provided demonstrates that that spread from not just the humanities faculty, but really across uh, multiple disciplines at, at Capital. Can can you talk about the strategies that you used to sort of facilitate that? I mean, what were there incentives for faculty um, to help them get engaged in this? And then, and then a follow-up question. I assume that there are some choices that students can make to either take courses that are specifically uh, focused on um, these place-based initiatives or not. And and so, how do you how do you communicate that to the students so that they can make informed choices about being able to capitalize on this opportunity? We try to provide those opportunities through our Hartford Heritage website, which is, uh, there's a link to it at the top of our of our website uh, at Capital Community College. Um, and we, we but, but a lot of times it's kind of hidden to students. We, we try to get the word out there, but it's not 
often that's not the reason they choose a course. It just mm-hmm. happens they take this course and mm-hmm. it's taught in that way. Um, the way we've 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 spread this is through uh, I would say primarily through workshops. I've continued to uh, as a, the project director. One of my duties is to um, to organize workshops. Um, we, for example, this fall uh, we're put, going to be putting together a workshop at the at Coltsville um, uh, Samuel Colts Factory uh, and Grounds are, have have just been named a, a national park. And so it's being developed, and and you know this is something that's a resource for us in the future, and even now. So we're going to get. Uh, I'll, I'll advertise for faculty to, to to sign up for this and to come out, and we encourage staff members, uh, non-faculty as well, to come because it's good for everybody to mm-hmm. to kind of get excited about what's around the community, and they can inform students and that kind of thing. Um, but to give you an example of the success of a workshop, uh, and this happens often um, that. What I described in the nursing uh, program at the Wadsworth Athenaeum, that started when we had a workshop uh, and a, a nursing faculty uh, attended that, and he started looking at art as a nurse mm-hmm. for the first time in his life. He'd always kind of separated those things. And as he was doing that, he immediately saw the value of, of doing this as, uh, with, with students. And he piloted his, uh, this, this, this with his class. And then by the spring, he had everybody engaged uh, in the, all, all the nursing faculty, had all their students coming and organized this big effort. It's been going on for four years now. Um, so it's, it's really a matter. The workshops are a way to expose people. They're not where uh, the type of workshop where we, we go to, say, the, uh, um, the Mark Twain house, for instance, and then tell people, okay, here's what you could do if you're a science teacher. Here's what you could do if you're a, a, you know, an art teacher or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. It's more uh, letting them as the curricular experts in their own field Think about those places, uh, just as that nursing faculty member had, mm-hmm. just looking at it and saying, All right, "Okay, I can see how I can use this." And they come up with their. Um, I've seen faculty come up with just amazing, creative ways of connecting uh, their coursework. Sounds like you've uh, developed. You, you've balanced a, a very fine line effectively in providing faculty with. Uh, ideas on this type of pedagogy, but allowing them to be creative at looking at their community in new ways. And that's hard to strike when you're doing a training session for, you know, what could be tens uh, numbers of faculty members. Um, It sounds like you've really managed to thread that needle effectively. Yes, I, I think that's gone very well. And, and in terms of other uh, ways that we've we've built this, uh, workshops are key. Another another important uh, aspect is is building a network. And again, as mm-hmm. as the project director, my job is to to really build that network. And so when a, when a when a faculty member comes to me and says, you know, I'm, I'm going to be teaching as somebody did this last fall, I'm going to be teaching the letter from Birmingham jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, what could I do? And I said, oh, the Amistad Center for Art and Culture is this uh, great resource down the street from us. Let me connect you with someone and you can talk about it. And and so that that kind of work is really important. And then I would say a, a, a third key ingredient has been institutional memberships. And this is where the support of administration and our college foundation has been really, really key. Um, we uh, recognize from the beginning that if you're going to take students to the theater or you're going to take students to a museum, um, 
it's it takes a lot of effort. You've got to set it up. You've got to arrange it. You've got to pay for the tickets and and get a, cut, a check cut from the college, and it's got to be two weeks in advance and all that kind of thing. And uh, it was prohibitive for a lot of people, uh, and especially for our, our hardworking um, and, and often overworked adjunct faculty who might be teaching at several mm-hmm. uh, institutions. So by by um, by negotiating, uh, you know, low cost institutional memberships or mem- institutional memberships that we can we can afford, uh, it allows uh, our students to go to any of these places. Uh, we have, we've we've got museums and we've got low discounted prices at, uh, at at theaters, and it makes it so that a faculty member can just say, "Okay, I'm going to we're all you know we're going to do this, and I don't have to deal with mm-hmm. with with the money part of it." Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I mean, taking red tape out um, really yes. opens the doors for a lot of creativity, and you and I both know that. Uh, higher education institutions are notorious for red tape. So, <laughs> so congratulations <laughs> on overcoming that. Hey, when I was doing uh, research on uh, for this interview, um, I ran across some of the the other writings that you've done, uh, not only for Get Smart but for some other other outlets. I, I read an op ed that you did in the Hartford Current where you where you you wanted readers to consider the question, what kind of college town do we want Hartford to be? I, I thought that was a really provoking question, one that uh, members of the higher education community do not often ask themselves uh, in relation to the community in which uh, they reside. What did you mean by that? And and what kind of college town do you think would be most uh, beneficial and facilitative uh, for higher education institutions to think about with respect to their community? Right. I think uh, whether it's it's a, a whether it's a fair um, view or not, uh, I think most people when they think of a college town, they think of. Uh, of students uh, in the the drinking establishments or or the coffee shops and uh, you know out and about town and and a place that's really um, in terms of you know in terms of the businesses in the town it's really a lot of students are 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 um, are attending and and uh, patronizing those places, um, but what if a college town Meant those things and more. What if it was a college town where 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 students were uh, actually out? Their classes were engaged in in uh, exploring in the city, uh, to attending attending theater and 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 uh, uh, making the museums part of their courses. Uh, what if they the you know classes were were actually engaged in problem solving in the community. Uh, I think that in Hartford, especially through the uh, Hartford Consortium of Higher Education, we have an incredible opportunity to do something like this. We've, we've done this experiment at, at Capital Community College that has been a huge success. And if, if we started to do that across campuses with cross-listing, uh, with, with mutual support, um, this thing could could really grow. We have uh, among the colleges in our town area, our city area, uh, approximately thirty five thousand college students uh, going to about eleven different colleges. Um, so, sharing resources, uh, working together, 
uh, could really make this a place that 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 is vibrant and thrives uh, through that work. I, I could uh, give you an example. Well, re- recently, in fact, this fall, um, the U- University of Connecticut is opening its uh, is is moving its West Hartford campus to downtown Hartford, and that's a that's a this is providing a, that this kind of opportunity. I've been in contact with and working with uh, the first year writing coordinator there. Uh, to talk about ways that that they can do the kinds of things that we're doing, and that that we could actually do workshops and and that kind of thing together. Um, and another thing that has happened just recently and is also being launched this fall is Trinity College has invited our college uh, to 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 join together in a liberal arts action lab. And what they've done is they've uh, uh, per, uh, rented space uh, just behind our college in downtown Hartford. Um, in order to 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 have have various um, uh, functions there, or have have, have uh, and one of them is the the liberal arts action lab. Um, I'm going to be the faculty director for uh, for our college, and uh, uh, Jack Doherty at um, at at um, Trinity College is a faculty director from there, and and we they also hired a, a a director Megan Brown who's going to to run the center and basically what the lab will do is it will take uh, at least initially we're going to have 10 capital community college students and 10 trinity students uh, together in a class uh, and this course will have coursework uh, that that will be taught by Megan Brown and our students will get Trinity College credit by taking that. But it will also have a lab, and the lab will be where these students break into small groups with a faculty advisor to work on some issue that a community organization has applied uh, to the, the lab and, 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 and has specific questions that they would like to have answered. And these students and faculty will work together with those community partners to uh, to come up with solutions, uh, and through that, this incredible learning opportunity for the students will be there, but also this 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 opportunity for community organizations to get help on things that they may not necessarily uh, have access to. What a what a wonderful uh, example of how, um, in in all the good ways, the public intellectual capital of a institution of higher education, or in this case, a consortium um, of, of institutions, can be uh, leveraged in a way that becomes um, empowering for the community. I, I think I just find that um, refreshing uh, and such great work that you all are doing inside the city of Hartford, working together, which is often not one of the strengths of, of institutions of higher education. I, I, I find it very refreshing. Yeah, the, it is unusual. In fact, it's it's unusual often for faculty to to work together. We tend to work in our in our silos. So, mm-hmm. uh, getting you know this uh, this kind of teaching going and and these kinds of of cross fertilization and partnerships um, to me that's that's exciting and that's something that I, I would like to. I, I'm hoping that we'll grow here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to come back to uh, your heritage project at Capital, uh, but. 
But before we come back to that, as fascinating as I'm finding this discussion, you've done a lot of research on place-based education. And in your article in Getting Smart, uh, you talked about some other great examples um, across the country of institutions that are doing this. What are some of the highlights of other examples that you've run across that you would point to as being really great illustrations of how this uh, approach to pedagogy works? Well, um, first of all, it's it's uh, something about place-based education is that it, it has gained a lot of traction in the K through 12 curriculum, but it has been something probably because of that silo nature that I was referring to is something that, that has not uh, uh, taken as strong a hold in higher education. That's where we have internships and service learning are a big thing that we that our colleges pour uh, resources into. But there are other colleges besides ours that that have poured resources into this kind of curricular development and pedagogy. Um, One that I I visited during my sabbatical uh, a few years ago was Gutman Community College in uh, Manhattan. It's a CUNY, uh, part of the CUNY system. And um, this this, uh, college has taken the place-based approach as central to what they do. Every student is required to take a course called City Seminar. Hmm. Um, and, and a lot of their other courses uh, are, are geared toward the city and things in the city. In fact, when the students uh, go to this college, they're required to do a summer bridge program. And the summer bridge program actually takes uh, puts students into small groups with a faculty member and they are assigned a neighborhood and they go to that neighborhood and they do research, whether it's sociological or architectural or whatever it might be, or maybe all, all of the above. And, um, and this is how they, 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 they get to know each other. This is how they form bonds together and form bonds with the faculty, which is really important to persistence in college. And they get this right from the beginning. And then once they start their courses, they have immediately they have this required city seminar, which I think is a six credit course. It's a it's it's very intensive, mm-hmm. and it uses the city in 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 um, in amazing ways. Um, so there's Gutman Community College, uh, an example of a univer- of a four year institution uh, using this kind of pedagogy. I would point to Temple University. I've interviewed a number of people there, and I've. Uh, uh, was very impressed with with the the work that they do there. Um, they have a program called PEX, uh, P-E-X, the Philadelphia Experience, and uh, in in PEX, the the uh, these are general education courses. They've they've got a list of something like fifty courses, and um, the the these are are courses that are kind of doing the things, you know, they're really doing the things that I've been describing, you know, using, using dance in the city, using uh, uh, performance, using, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, solving problems in the community, looking at architecture or whatever it might be. Um, so so that's, that's another, an example of a four-year university that has a really great mm-hmm. concerted effort to make this something broad that, that, every, that would reach every student. So re- re- returning to the Heritage Project after hearing those other examples, and I appreciate the fact that um, you're seeing this uh, be implemented at both uh, two-year uh, but also four-year institutions, 
But returning to the Heritage Project, have you gotten to a stage where you've uh, started to collect assessment data? Um, and if so, have you have you found any uh, insights into uh, how your students are learning from these experiences? Yes, um, the objective uh, from the beginning of the Hartford Heritage Project was to make Hartford our extended campus, uh, to open opportunities for students to experience what Hartford has to offer, um, especially in the arts and humanities. Um, and I, th I think we have, have uh, come a long way to meeting that objective. Um, we, uh, I've collected uh, statistics over the last two uh, academic years on just our institutional membership partners. Uh, so, so the Wadsworth Athenaeum, uh, the Mark Twain House, Harriet Beecher Stowe Center, our, um, our theaters, theater works, and uh, Hartford Stage, uh, the Old State House, um, and Connecticut Landmarks. And basically, I, they, they keep track of the numbers of, of, of students and uh, members of our college community who, who attend those places. Um, in 2015 and 16, we had 2,078 members of our college community uh, attend museums and theater performances in Hartford. That's in a, a, a college. At that time, our, our enrollment was 3,517. Mm. So that's 15, mm -hmm. 59%. 28% um, that, that year, 28% of our, our student population experienced live theater. Um, uh, most of that was through courses, either as extra credit or as part of the curriculum. Um, and the uh, amazing thing uh, in this urban college is that we find uh, very often a lot of our students have not had the experience of going to a live theater performance. In fact, we did a, a, a survey of 80 students who went to see Romeo and Juliet at the Hartford stage that year. Um, this was a year ago, um, and 58% uh, of them said that this was their first time hmm. in their lives, you know, seeing a live theater performance. So mm -hmm. we're really opening up opportunities that, that our students have not uh, had before. This year, our numbers were, were, were pretty much the, you know, very similar, uh, the same kind of percentages. Um, and so we're, we're really seeing numerically an incredible outreach. Uh, I, th I think it would be pretty hard now to go through our college without having this kind of experience in at least one course. And that is, uh, you know, one of our, our early objectives for this. Mm -hmm. So one last question. If I'm a, you know, a professor, a teacher listening to this program, and I'm intrigued by the idea of place-based education, uh, pedagogy, uh, and want to start trying to integrate this into my class, what advice would you have for someone that is sort of starting at ground zero but but recognizes the value and opportunity of it? Well, one thing is to get excited yourself about it. Um, I think if you go to the Hartford Heritage website, I, I gave you a whole bunch of numbers just now, uh, but if you want to see uh, videos of students, uh, just short video clips of students talking about their experience, um, you know, this sort of qualitative evidence is, is really um, convincing. Uh, there, and there are a number of, of quotes from students there as well. I would, I would point um, interested uh, K-12 
educators to gettingsmart.com. They have an uh, amazing series on place-based education. Um, I have several of my articles are there, uh, but there are over 60 articles there on place-based education. And also the staff of gettingsmart.com created uh, several documents, and one in particular is, is, a, is a great place to start. It's a, it's a PDF on their website that's, uh, that's uh, called What is Place-Based Education and Why Does It Matter? Uh, and so that, that's a, a great place to start to, to, to learn things. But on top of that, it's a matter of finding out what's around you. No matter what place, you, you may not have uh, Mark Twain's house down the street from you, uh, but you've got something. Uh, you've got things around you that that are important to you know that can be used as tools uh, to education, and what happens with students in these courses is you, anytime you're taking them out of the classroom and going and doing something together, bonds are built uh, between each other between the students and with the faculty member. As I mentioned before, this is a key to persistence in in college. Um, you you find students uh, kind of getting excited about coming to class and getting excited about the material they're learning. Um, I mean, I have the opportunity of, of teaching Mark Twain and Harriet Beecher Stowe and then going and showing them the desk that they wrote these, <laughs> these books on. You know, I, I mean, that's, that's, that's a thrill, that, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, but there's lots of thrilling things around us. And students, you know, it, we, they need to catch that. And once they do... We find in, in – we've, we've done attitudinal surveys in our classes and found that uh, students start off uh, generally with a very negative attitude about Hartford. Um, and and uh, by the end of the course, they're you know, seeing it totally differently. Again, you can look at the, uh, at the comments on our website. Uh, it's, it's quite amazing how excited students get about – the place where they're living, and and that I think is is what's so important about education. It's not it's not a matter of of, of pumping knowledge into students. It's 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 um, helping them to become engaged citizens. And this is place based education is all about engaging students in the communities around the college, so that they will have a lasting impact and a lasting connection. Well, Jeff, with that, let me say that you present a compelling and articulate case for this, and it's clear that the success of the Heritage Project, um, specifically in Hartford, but then also the collaborations that you have not only with your community but other universities, uh, makes uh, Hartford a place where this is being done to an A-plus level. I mean, I really congratulate you on what you've been able to accomplish uh, and, and would concur that the evidence uh, and narratives that you provide on the Heritage Project website uh, are something that would get anyone excited about engaging in this form of pedagogy. We will have that linked in the text accompanying this podcast, as well as a link to Jeff's article on getting smart, uh, and would encourage readers to spend time uh, going through all of those resources, uh, because I think that it will uh, turn on a lot of light bulbs uh, and, and perhaps provide new ways of looking at not only a curriculum, but also a community. And as you said, Jeff, uh, that's part of what it is that we ought to be trying to do as higher education and professionals. I want to thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me on your program. And thank you for listening to Teaching Matters, produced by WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. You can always listen at woub.org slash listen. We're also available through several popular podcasting apps, including Google Play, iTunes, and NPR One. 
You can contact staff of the podcast with ideas, questions, or comments through our Facebook page. Simply search for Teaching Matters Podcast in Facebook and provide comments. Our audio engineer today is Adam Rich. I'm Scott Tipsworth, your host. We want to thank our colleagues at WNPR in Hartford for assisting us in making this connection with Dr. Partridge. On behalf of WOUB Public Media, thank you for listening and have a great day.